0: I want to start by telling a story about Neil. Uh, it's, been sh- it's been shared in here before. You guys laugh. <laughs> you think you know me so well. Neil uh, behaved himself this service, so I'm not gonna have to dump on him today. <clears throat> but Neil uh, was wakeboarding uh, a number of years ago when he was a young man, and uh, <laughs> and. Wakeboarding's kind of dangerous, and he hurt his back. It turns out that he um, herniated his discs in between his vertebrae. And it, it was very painful. He didn't know what he'd done, but it just got, he kept waiting for it to get better, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And <clears throat> so he went to the chiropractor, and they took x-rays, and they showed that his vertebrae was very had been very much affected and was out of alignment not going the right way, and he was in a lot of pain, and the chiropractor said, you'll have to have surgery, but you're a young man, so let's put it off as long as you can. So, Neil, a lot of you guys have had bad backs. You know how debilitating it is, so he struggled with that. It affected him all the time. One day, some years ago, we had a one of our uh, worship and ministry nights in here, <clears throat> and towards the end, Neil was down here. We were praying for people, and Praying for sick people, and Mark upon had a word of knowledge that God wanted to heal backs. Now, uh, a lot of you, most of you know uh, Michael Cook. He was our uh, much loved counseling pastor, and he's gone on to be with the Lord. But he was sitting back there just worshiping when Mark gave the word, and he immediately felt this sensation, and all the pain in his back was gone. And he got excited, and he came running down, and he saw Neil. He said, Neil, God just healed my back. I'm so excited. I'm full of faith. I want to pray for someone with a bad back. Neil goes, well, you can pray for me. So Michael laid hands on him, prayed for healing in Jesus' name. Neil said he felt immediately a shifting in his back. And all the pain was gone. He was excited. He wanted to go and witness to his chiropractor, who was not a Christian. He wanted to give his chiropractor... Uh, you know, evidence that God's alive and he's doing miracles. And uh, so he went there, and he wanted to get another x-ray, which he had to pay for because insurance wouldn't pay for it. But he wanted to witness to this doctor. So the doctor's sitting there looking. He's got both x-rays, the before with the injured vertebrae, the next where everything is perfect. He can see it. It's right there. He has Neil's testimony. And he says to Neil, well... You know, it's an amazing thing, the earth is mysterious, and there's these vortexes, and sometimes it just releases healing power, and we don't understand how or why it happens. And Neil says, no, I just told you. I was at church. I wasn't walking around in vortexes. I was at church. My friend came down. He laid hands and prayed that Jesus would heal my back, and in that instance, it he was healed, and you've got... You've got the incontrovertible evidence of the x-rays there. And the man looked at him, he said, well, it's a mystery why the earth just releases healing power and people are healed. (laughs) Now, that man was a materialist, and it blinded him from being able to see what was so clear. Now, materialism, this is not the technical definition, but materialism is the belief that the material world is all there is, that there's nothing beyond it, that any claims beyond it is just make-believe. They believe if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't measure it, then it's not real. God is just wish fulfillment. Uh, belief in the Bible is irrational. How many you know some people like this? Now, this is the spirit of our age. The philosophy of our age is materialism. And it is beyond, it's behind almost all of the values of our culture. It's the guiding principle of science and of politics and of education and of pop culture and everything. And it's everywhere. You can't escape the influence of materialism. It surrounds us just like water surrounds a fish. So it's always trying to seep in. It wages war against your soul. It's the enemy of spiritual growth because it tells us that our attention must be first and foremost focused on the things of this world. It tells us that we can get happiness and security and a meaning from this world and the things in it. <clears throat> Now, in Mark 4.19, Jesus warns us of what he calls, quote, the deceitfulness of riches. Well, what is the deceitfulness of riches? It's the lie that the things in this world, the material things, can give you peace or make you happy or give you a sense of meaning. And it's that lie that keeps a lot of Christians pursuing the wrong things so that they never really lay hold of the fullness that God has for them. Jesus also says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and cleave to it and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise or ignore the other You cannot serve God and wealth, or God and mammon. The word, the original Greek word means more than just money. It's just any physical possession that you might want to have. Now, many Christians are caught in the trap of trying to serve these two masters. They believe in God and His promises, but we have been oriented and we have been propagandized into a materialist view. And so we try to serve two opposing matters. But the problem is that materialism, the belief that there is nothing beyond the physical world and and the material world is a lie. And it leads to a false view of the world and every single thing in it, including yourself. And so the question is, if materialism is so pervasive And it's so destructive to me, and it surrounds me everywhere. How can I escape the trap of materialism? So today, I want to share five truths that will keep us from falling in the trap of materialism and keep us from pursuing the ways of this world and materialism. The first is the most important. It's the biggest one. It strikes at the very heart of materialism, at the very fruit, because it's so opposite of what the world thinks. And here's the first truth. The spiritual world is greater, and here it is, more real than the physical world. Isn't that so much different than how people think? But think about it. The spiritual world was first. Even science tells us that the physical universe had a beginning but the spiritual world is eternal. And so the spiritual world was first here, and the material world came out. Excuse me, the yeah, material world came out of the spiritual world. God spoke the physical world into existence. Let there be, and it became. So the physical world is just a temporary expression or reflection of the spiritual world. Let me say that again. The temporary world is just a temporary expression of the spiritual world. And one day, the material world will pass away completely. We are waiting, how many of you know, for a new heavens and a new earth? And the old heavens, the physical universe, is going to pass away <clears throat> The new heaven and the new universe is beyond the limits of the physical. It is a spiritual universe. So the spiritual world's before, it'll be hereafter. It created the physical universe. Now, materialists have an inadequate view of the world. They think of the world as just three-dimensional. But we know that's not true. We know, if you will, there's a fourth dimension. It is the dimension where we encounter God. We pray to God, and God moves and answers our questions. In a four-dimensional world, everything's different. In that dimension that we accept and they don't, all of God's possibilities are open to us. The sermon title is Living in the Real World. People who tell you there's no God, get real, they're not in the real world. If you don't know the fourth dimension, you're not living in the real world. <clears throat> Second truth, material things can't meet my deepest needs. This temporary material world, the physical world, it can only meet the needs of my temporary physical body. Water, food, all the things that my body needs. But it cannot meet the needs of of my heart or my soul or my spirit because they are eternal. They're not going to pass away. They're not going to be left in the ground. Their destiny is elsewhere in in heaven. And so because they're not physical, they're eternal, they can only be met by eternal things. Most people think if I have health and Wealth, if I'm popular and I have achievements in this world, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be satisfied and I'll be fulfilled. But that's an illusion because nothing in this physical world can heal a broken soul. Nothing can <clears throat> bring forgiveness, release a person from guilt or, for, or shame. Nothing can give you an eternal sense of fulfillment and an inner well-being. Only something from outside the physical world, only God's Spirit can do that. Galatians 5. Somebody agrees with that. That's good. Now listen, y'all know this. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace. It goes on from there. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, Love, joy, peace. This is what everybody wants. We want to know love. We want to have hope. We want to have joy. We want to have peace. And nothing in the physical world can bring that to pass. But it is the natural. Love, joy, peace, and hope are the natural consequence of being right with God and being filled with his spirit. It is the evidence, it is the fruit of having God's spirit in you. It comes from the fourth dimension, if you will. Um, Here's the next thing, number three. How I use material things has a powerful impact on my spiritual life. A lot of us can relate to this, the wandering heart. And you think, why is it that, like, my heart will feel close to God? Maybe it's at coming home from church or you went to a camp or retreat or something. But it doesn't take long before your heart just begins to be led away into the cares of the world, into the worries of the world. And you think, what's wrong with my heart? Why, even when it's set on God and have a great experience, does it continually so easily wander off? What's wrong with my heart? Maybe there's nothing wrong with your heart. Maybe you just don't realize how it works. Jesus tells us the cure for a wandering heart. Let's call it the treasure principle. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 through 21. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, he's not just talking about waiting for you in heaven when you get there. He's talking about treasures before God. Treasures in the heavenly or spiritual realm. We, you know, they're there for us now. Store for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, here it is, the treasure principle. Listen carefully. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where my treasure is, my heart will always be focusing on what I treasure the most. Your treasure is whatever you focus your most time and energy and dreams and hope and love on. You make that your treasure, and your heart will always be around and paying attention to your treasure and drawn towards your treasure. For instance, think of the stock market. If you don't have any money invested in the stock market, you never think about the stock market. You don't pay attention to it. When you're looking at the TV and the news and the stock market is shown on there, you don't pay attention. But if you put a lot of money in the stock market. If every month you're putting money in the stock market, you watch the stock market like an eagle. It is your treasure. And a lot of people that are playing the market, have a lot of money in the market, <clears throat> their emotional well-being and their hopes and everything rises or falls with the market. It is their treasure. <clears throat> you Anything you invest in, you know, people get involved in... Uh, They get an interest in stamp collecting, and they start buying it, and they start trading it. And and pretty soon, the most important thing in their life, the thing that they're most interested in, is this little piece of paper that was designed to mail a letter. But because they put so much into it, it's their treasure. So here's the rule. The rule is you cannot always or generally uh, control your affections but you let's put it up on the screen but you can control what you invest in and your affections will follow so what about my wandering heart well i can't control where my heart goes directly however if i invest in the right things my heart will be focused you see if i invest in always pursuing more and more money and more and more possessions and you know <clears throat> all the things of the physical world, how I dress and all the things. and that's the, m- then my heart is always going to be drawn towards that and drawn towards the worries and the lust of the material world. But if I invest in God, if I do in fact have a regular devotional life where I talk to God and I read His Word and I maybe have fe- inve- in v- fellowship, and if I give myself to serve other people, then my heart, my treasure is on the kingdom of God. And rather than my heart always wandering off, my heart will always be drawn towards the things of God, towards the things that I know are good for me. It'll be natural. That's the treasure principle. Now, Satan's plan is to ensnare your heart with worldly things, material things, so that he can shut you off from the riches of God's kingdom. And listen to this, trap your soul in worry, greed, and fear. He wants to ensnare your heart so that your treasures and all the things of this world, your heart is bound to that, and you are cut off from everything God wants to give to you. God has a different plan. God wants you to enjoy the good things he's made, And be grateful for them. But even more, he wants you to invest them to expand his kingdom so that you will grow in his favor and you will be rewarded. Number four, being right with God and seeking his ways brings material blessings. Being right with God and seeking his ways, to walk in his ways, brings material blessing. Uh, Another uh, verse that you guys are probably all very familiar with, Jesus says, Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? Now, that seems normal. Most people, that's what they wake up each day thinking. Their mind is focused on the needs of this life and the things in the material world that we need. And he says, don't be like that. That's what the Gentiles want. He says, but you, he says, you seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus challenges our tendency to always be thinking about the material first. Be consumed with the needs of our our physical life and the material thing. God, Jesus says, reverse that. <clears throat> Instead of being always focused on the material and worried about the material, reverse that and seek first God's kingdom, and everything you need in the material world will be brought to you. I mean, through your own labors, but it'll be a blessing. You see, the spiritual is more real. The spiritual is greater. And when we get that right and walk in the spiritual, it is the key to everything that we need in the material world. Number five. I must be wise and strategic in how I use material things. Since it's so important, I've got to think about how I use the things of this world. I've got to use them in a wise way in a strategic way. And that helps us when you grasp that, that helps us to understand a parable that a lot of Christians scratch their head over because they can't quite figure it out. Luke 16. Now Jesus was saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and his manager was reporting to him as squandering or stealing his possessions. And so the rich man called him in and said, What is this I hear about you? Give him an accounting. Get the books all settled up and bring me the books. Give an accounting of your management, for you're fired, you can no longer be manager. So he's told he's fired, and after cleaning up the books, he must turn them in. But don't miss this. This is the point. For just a little while, longer, he still has the books. He still has the control of the books. Verse 3 now. So the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management or the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from my job, people will welcome me into their homes. I'll have a place to go, I won't be homeless. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And the manager said to him, well, take your bill, sit down, and instead write down only 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down just 80. Here it comes. And his master praised the unrighteous manager. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than are the sons of light, meaning Christians. Now, you're wondering, Jesus is speaking approvingly of this wicked manager. And that's what people have trouble with. But one thing you have to understand, a principle of interpretation of parables is that most parables are about just one thing. There's just one point. There's several parables that violate that, and they have a couple of different meanings in the parable. But most of them are just about one point. So what's the point? Why is Jesus praising this wicked man? Well, we know he's a thief. It's certainly not that. We know that he's lazy and proud because he said, I'm too lazy to dig and I'm too proud to beg. It's not that. So what was it about this manager that caused Jesus Christ to praise him? What did he understand? Here it is. This is what God wants us to get from that parable. What the steward understood is this. As long as he had the power of a steward, he could use what belonged to another to gain favor For himself. As long as he had what control or stewardship of what belonged to another, he could use it to gain favor and blessing for himself. Now, everything we have belongs to God. We don't own any of it. Everything in the world God made, and he never transferred title to anybody. It's all still his. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, everything, the world and all those who dwell on it. They all belong to the one who made them. Haggai 2.8, it's down and dirty, right in our face. And God says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Now, after we've been rebels and we <clears throat> give our life to the Lord, we stop, we're going to stop being rebels and we're going to surrender our life to God. When we do that, we acknowledge this truth that everything is his. And so we stand before him. We say, God, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I've made a mess of my life. I recognize I need you. I want you, Jesus, to be my savior, to forgive me. And I want you to come and lead me in my life. I surrender everything I am to you. And God says, I accept. But what do you have with you? Nothing. I mean, just my wallet. Okay, well, all of your money is mine. Anything else? Well, my car keys. Oh, you have a car? The car is mine, too. Well, how will I get to my house? Oh, you have a house? (laughs) Your house is mine. Well, where will I put all my stuff? Everything I own. Oh, that's all mine, too. Well, if you got all my stuff and all my furniture... Then you have all the beds. Where will my kids' sleep? Oh, you have children? Your children are mine, too. And it goes on and on until, like, your body is, is. everything that we have. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't create a single thing in this earth. It was all created on the day of when God created the world, and then he rested. It's all his. And then God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it all back to you, everything. Your car, your house, your wallet, your money, your kids, and you're going to be a steward for me of all that I've entrusted to you. And you can use what you can use, what you need, but make sure that you also invest some to expand my kingdom as a good steward. I am not the owner of anything, I am just a steward. But listen to me, that is a good thing because of the stewardship principle. Here it is, the stewardship. Even though everything I have belongs to God, I can use it to gain his blessing and help in my life. Amazing scripture, Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the lord and the lord will pay him back how would you like to put the lord in your debt how would you like to have the lord say okay i owe you one god says that if we take some of what is his and it can be money it can be your precious time even our time is His. we can take what belongs to him and if we invest it in someone else and helping somebody else, God will, God will be it like we're loaning it to him and he'll pay us back. How would you like God to be your rewarder? God wants us to sow so that we can reap blessings and increase, both in the material, physical world and also in the spiritual world. He wants us to take what is his and invest it so that we get a return. And we're blessed. 2 Corinthians 9. Now, it's very practical. This is how you have to look at it in your life. 2 Corinthians 9, it says, And God is able to make all grace, that's all his help, abound, overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency, having, this is what God wants for us, everything we need met by him. In everything, you may have more than enough. And abundance for every good deed. And so what what God says here is, he is faithful to not only give us everything that we need materially, but also emotionally, everything else, but more than just to give us everything we need, he's going to give us an abundance for every good deed so we can do good deeds. Let's look at verse uh, 10 and 11. This is powerful. Now, he who supplies seed, that's God, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Those are two different things. Seed that you make into bread, wheat, and seed that you sow. So that we gain a harvest. Uh, Verse, keep reading. We'll supply uh, bread for food. We'll supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest. When you sow, you harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything, every dimension of life, for being liberal in your giving, which is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, <clears throat> what that means is whatever God gives you, whatever you have, you know, whatever your monthly income is, you may not think it's very much, but God has promised you that within what he's given you, there is not only bread for eating, there's a little something-something, at least to sow. There's more to give. Now, whatever you eat, whatever you spend on yourself is gone. You eat it, it's gone. But whatever you take of what he's entrusted your hand and you sow it into the kingdom, you sow it into another person, that's where the increased harvest comes. Every harvest, the harvest of one seed, how many know, is a lot. <laughs> it's a tree, it's a lot of wheat, <clears throat> The blessing is only on what you sow. Now, you got to realize that God is faithful. And you may not think you have much, but you have something to give because it can multiply back. Don't fall into the materialism where you just pursue more and more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger. Don't be, Jesus said in Luke 12, 21, don't be like the man who stores up treasure for himself. And is not rich towards God. You are a steward. And good stewardship opens up, God says, the windows of heaven. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that overflows you and everything you have. But first, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, the tithe is the first 10% of my earnings. And in a sense, that's like a tax. God is the owner of everything, and so the first 10% is paid back to him for the advancement of his kingdom. And people say, people who've never tried this say, that's whack. That's not possible. There, I cannot give 10% of my income, even to God. That's why God says these next words. And is it still up there? Put it back up there. Uh, before that. Bring the whole tithe, all of it in, the whole 10%, and test me now in This. How many of you know the Bible tells us over and over, over again we're not to test God, we're not to put God to the test? But in this one area, God gives us permission to test him. Because it is so hard for our head to get, being materialist, to get around the fact that if we do spiritually obey God, it'll bless us. So he says, I want you to do an experiment. Just run a test. Just try it once. Just see if it doesn't work. Test me now in this, if I will not open up the windows of heaven. Now, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to survey in here, and if you can say yes and amen to what I'm going to say now, if you have tested it, and it has been proven absolutely true in your life, I want you to clap. But only if... No, no, not yet. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay, here's what I'm going to try to tell you. Good stewardship opens up the floodgates. 90% of what you have under an open floodgates from heaven, a floodgates of blessing, is way more than a 100% without that blessing. God's favor, God's grace poured down on you, bringing increase on 90% is far more. And if you don't believe it, God says, test me now in this. Now, materialism says, buy more and more, lust for bigger, Uh, hoard, God says take care of your needs but also sow and reap so that you you can reap a multiplied blessing both in material and spiritual blessings. Now, this is important to take a minute here. Many people misunderstand faith. Most all of us have to trust God for things we don't have. And here's, let me put this up there. People misunderstand faith Many people think that faith is passively waiting for God to give you what you don't yet have. I need something and I just ask for God and then I passively wait. That's not really good, that's not a picture of what faith is. Here's faith. Faith really means sowing out of what little you already have in an expectation. The faith is the expectation, the faith is the obedient action and the expectation that God will multiply back to you far more because God is faithful. The Bible says God is rewarder and because that is the promise in God's word and the spiritual is more real than the material and when we obey in the spiritual there will be material benefit because God owns the spiritual, or the material Now, Linda and I learned this very early on when I was in seminary. Um, We got married. I went to seminary. And the first year, we had a child, Neil. He's just always been inconvenient. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, God sent me that boy to teach me patience. No, I got to tell you the truth. Nobody's had a, a son that brings them more joy. Than I have with Neil. He's always been. I tease him, but he's been good. But we had uh, <clears throat> two kids, and uh, y- you know, uh, the second year another child came. I guess no one gave us the talk. You know, uh, <laughs> why do we keep getting these kids? Um, and we didn't have enough income. The math didn't work. Linda had that she could only do part time. She was doing some housekeeping, house cleaning. Uh, I was a youth pastor. I was in seminary, didn't have much income. And God would bring before us a need that someone had. And I would say to Linda, we have to give. We have to give to that person. And the first couple of times at the beginning, she'd say, Mark, we don't have anything to give. We cannot pay rent next month. And I said, exactly. You say that we can't afford to give the truth is we can't afford not to give. We don't have enough money. And this opportunity is God's invitation for us to step into his economy. Now, I'm telling you the truth over years. And so we would do that, and God would meet every need. I remember one time I was opening my Bible to do my devotions, and we were pressed for cash, and we didn't tell people. And there were $200.20. Somebody had stuffed in my Bible. I don't know when, the night before somewhere. And uh, by the way, that was 40 years ago when $200 was some kind of money. Not like today where $200 will buy you a a toothbrush and a candy bar. But (laughs) that was some money. And another time, Linda was praying because she knew we didn't have enough money coming in for rent. And she was praying to God about it. And God spoke to her heart and said, I want you to go upstairs. Because we lived in a, it was a a duplex and a granny flat. And so uh, she had to go up the stairs of the street. She looked in the mailbox. There was a letter from someone, anonymous, no return address with hundreds of dollars in it. And God did that with us for years. Um, He would meet needs in the most incredible way. I mean, cars that should have died would run forever. Money would come in. We'd get windfalls. And God met every need, and we gave at every opportunity we felt God wanted us to. Now, Foothills has always operated that way too. Uh, Foothills um, has always given away money from the very beginning. Uh, <clears throat> when, um, when we were in our uh, building this first little unit out, you know, we got all the money we could. We thought it was going to be enough, but you know, it's never enough. How many know? especially if you're not real experienced. And so there were delays, there were problems, there were setbacks. It was obvious we did not have enough money looking forward to finish the job. And so we knew about a man, Tommy Barnett, he was building the Dream Center, we'd met him, and up in LA, as a church in an inner city. And so we took about 70% of what we had left, and we gave it to him in an offering. Because we know that if we'll take care of the need, God's business, Outside of our own needs, he'll take care of our needs. So we gave, and in short order, we had enough to finish the church. And uh, we've always done that. Neil shared about uh, one time when uh, we didn't have enough money for Youth Venture. And we had four centers, and we just did not have enough money to pay rent at all four centers next time. So I got, got them all together, and we prayed. And we said, we don't have enough money. And we can't get any more from the church. So God must, must be giving us an opportunity to enter into his economy. So, that, so we prayed and that God show us. And so <clears throat> later that day I heard about another place in uh, southeast San Diego, or east San Diego I should say, um, on El Cone Boulevard, where a minister's trying to open up a youth minister, youth center, thing some, somewhat similar to ours. And so I drove down there and I presented the, I never met the guy. I just walked in and I gave him this money. And it was a lot of money. It wasn't enough to pay the rent on four centers, but it was a hefty piece. And so I gave it to him. It blessed him. They were in a crisis situation. And so we came back, and how many of you know, before the end of the month, all the money that we needed had come in. That's how God meets needs. Because every time you pass it along, it multiplies. See, I, met, I had a bigger need So I couldn't meet it, so I took what I had and I gave it to him. It met his need, and it multiplied back to me to meet our need. The the spiritual world is more real. Foothills Christian Fellowship has always operated that way. This month, every month we give money to another church. There's always something. This month we're giving money to a church in southeast San Diego, to build out their youth room and their youth thing, start a weekly youth thing. We're also helping another church pay for their their roof is leaking and they can't afford it. So we're paying them to help fix their roof because if we take care of God's business, he'll take care of ours. We have never been out of money. We have never had to lay anybody off because we didn't have enough money. We've been through the the, the bad crashes, the dot-com, the you know, mortgage crisis one. We've been through um, the whole covid thing and god we've never had to lay anybody off god's always met our needs we start foothill started with two guys dave and i separately starting a home group there's some people who go to this church i saw rob taylor out there he went to my home group I and mean, that's all it was then we met on sunday just a few of us brought the churches together there was no income for us we had to <clears throat> earn all our own money. I drove a a taxi. There was just nothing. And from that day, God multiplied. And now this church has a yearly budget of $8 million for the schools and the centers and the Bible clubs and the ministries in Cuba and the ministries in uh, Africa. And all over, God continues to multiply. And that little thing, we now have $20 million in equity in just uh, our buildings and stuff at foothills. I want to tell you, this isn't pie in the sky. This stuff worked. It worked for Linda and I. Linda and I own our own house now. We have, we're well set for our declining years, and we're going to have an inheritance to leave to our kids. And it just followed because we understand God's financial uh, realm, his economy, and we know that the spiritual is greater than the material in every dimension of life. Amen. All right, got to stop here. Oh, let me say this. I've gone over time. Now, I'm not giving you the prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that your faith or that your words can create things in the physical world to meet what you want. no. There are people who believe that. They're called Christian scientists, religious science of the mind, mind over matter. I'm not talking about my words or my faith producing everything. What I'm talking about is when we conform our lives to spiritual reality, the greater world, when we conform our lives to that world by following God's word, then the blessings and the increase comes from God. The spiritual is greater. Getting that right is the key to the physical if I can have our worship team come out here. We're being socialized into materialism every day of our life through dozens or hundreds of ads and messages, through the example of our neighbors and people around us, and the result of many Christians, though they love Jesus with all their heart, their mind is filled with materialistic thinking. And so what happens is they've fallen in the trap. They can draw upon their own bank account, that's all they know, but they can't draw on God's unfathomable, unending riches. They know their own strength and the, and the weakness of it, the lack of it, but they don't really know the unending strength of God because they haven't learned to live in the spiritual world as God wants us to. Don't fall in the trap of materialism. You are a child, you are a son or daughter of God Most High. You have a spiritual being, you are a spiritual person. You have a destiny in heaven. We should not live like the materialists because our God has taught us better in this word. So decide today that you're going to live consistently in the real world. When people tell you, man, that's just a crutch, you're not in the real world. Tell them, I'm in the real world. I see all of the world. I see all of reality, not just part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We want to thank you, Lord, in this, in this difficult world, in this changing world. We want to thank you that we have, we're rooted into something more real, more lasting, more powerful. We are rooted into God, his kingdom. Lord, help us to walk in wisdom. Multiply back to us as we serve you, Lord. Grow your kingdom. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.